When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The 25th episode of the Pirate Rugby Pod. We're now approaching 600 YouTube subscribers and we've had a great start to the year in terms of audio downloads. So a huge thank you to everyone for tuning in. If you like what we do, please like, share and subscribe. Comments also give us a big boost and we always respond to each one. If you're only here for Thistle the Cat shorts, stick around. You might decide you like rugby too. A reminder to check out our Substack where we have just done a deep dive on all the key stats for the URC. We've also done a deep dive on the physicality and what it takes to be an international men's rugby player. How big do you have to be? And there'll be more on that later in the week. So stay tuned. Uh, and you, you can uh, catch us on TikTok as well, where we're growing fastly and then slowly <laughs> over there. It's a bit of a experience enjoying that element of social media. But uh, if you go over there, you'll find all of our short form video content and give us a like, give us a follow and we'll hope to see you there. But anyway, now it's time to introduce our international guest of the week. And this is this is a good one. This is one I've been looking forward to. I look forward to all of them, but especially this one. Um, so I like to think of the rugby podcasting fraternity. Ah, that's just brothers, isn't it? The The community um as you know we it's a bit like maybe the seattle punk scene or the manchester indie rock scene everybody knows each other goes to each other's shows and everything and whenever you watch documentaries about that era there's always one person where everyone goes that guy that's the guy and for me that is our guest today it is scrum of the earth host david lawrence how are you sir wow that was the kindest intro i've ever gotten that was fantastic Hugh. it's really really fun to be here great to meet enda for the first time looking forward to chatting rugby today so you're coming to us from where in America? I'm I'm about eight miles west of Boston. So, you know, just wow, right say Boston. The, the town's called Marlboro. Pretty much every town I've ever been in is named after a town in England. So. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, OK, international weather, weather check then. It is basically no weather in England today. It is it is mild as anything. Enda, what's it like in Dublin? It is quite cold. It was very cold this morning, um, which yeah, it's been been quite cold the last couple of days. How about yourself, David? What's it like over uh, near it is, Boston? It is also bitter. It's bitterly cold here. It's a couple of degrees below freezing. We've had uh, we had two days in a row of snow, and then after that, it melts a little bit, which is just a, a you know an excuse for it to then ice over completely. So you're guaranteed to fall at least twice on the way to your car, and yeah, and of course February is the bad month, so <laughs> it's it's been is rough. It? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Okay, then let's kick on with our moments of the week then, Ender. Do you want to lead us into it? I will indeed. And mine is short and sweet this weekend. It's from um, the new 
Netflix documentary, Full Contact, and it's Sean Edwards. I'm sure you've all seen the clip where he's like, if you have possession in your own half, kick the fucking ball in his Wigan accent. I just think he was he was probably one of the highlights of that show for me. Um, he comes across, everything I've heard about him is that he's very he's very straight talker. He gets his message across um, and you'd, you know, you'd, you'd want to run through a brick wall for him. And that that's exactly what I got from the show uh, and hearing him speak in French as well. And a few times he did in the in the show as well was just priceless for me in that Wigan accent. Um, but genuinely, like, you, you can see in the brief clips he has on that show why he has such a strong influence. And you can just tell from listening to him that he's hard as nails and that the players have a lot of respect for him. Um, but I just thought that line was just him in a nutshell and I loved it. What about yourself, you? So mine comes from a rugby match that I watched this weekend. I watched Toulon versus La Rochelle, which was not the most special rugby match, as our friend Maz has pointed out to me, <laughs> that I should have spent some time doing something else. But um, uh, So there was a moment in this game where uh, a ball was kicked to touch in open play, and it went to uh, Jaminet. The fullback was there to catch it. So if you imagine the pitch, so there's the pitch, the touchline, and there's like a space and then there's where all the people hang about. And then there's a barrier. And then there's a, a thing over the barrier. Jaminet goes all the way over there to the barrier, which is right on the edge. The next thing would be in the row of seats. He sticks his arm lower, arm's length, and catches this ball. He is like 10, 15 metres away from the pitch at this point. But he's caught the ball on the fall, meaning he can take the quick throw. They, they take the throw. Toulon absolutely carve up. They go through La Rochelle like nobody's business. It goes to Ben White, the scrum half. He finishes and then he injures his shoulder in the act of scoring in just the most mental and French uh, <laughs> passage of play that you have seen all year. David, what was your moment? Yeah, that was like a baseball catch. That was like catching somebody out from shortstop or something. Uh, I had a couple, you know, I, I thought about this a lot. Um, I was thinking about you guys, so I thought, okay, moment of the week. Neither Scarlet's nor Connick lost, so that's a plus. Um, I considered making it the utterly bananas Bristol versus Bath game, because I, I can't remember a regular season match hitting 101 points. Um, I also thought about that match for a different reason, because in the lead-up, they, they hyped up they were going to be doing this player mic, and they said it was going to be Stephen Luatua. <laughs> I was super excited. It never came up. If it, Where I saw it, at least, the broadcast never had any moments from that at all. I was wondering if it was going to happen at halftime or something, nothing. If he was actually wearing a mic, it's completely a mystery to me. I'd never heard the guy speak either. So I was kind of psyched to hear what he sounds like. on no, the pitch. But, now you say that. Yeah. He, he seems so quiet too. It seemed like an odd choice to mic up, but I, maybe he was mic'd up the whole time. Maybe he was live. He just is exactly what I think he is. I think he was saying like special things to like, to like that he wouldn't normally say just for the mic. <laughs> well, I guess I'll never know. Um, in the in the end, I decided to go with a bit of a zag. I went with a moment you guys might not have even caught, actually. My moment of the week is the Ireland women getting the top prize in Perth with an amazing upset at the home favourites, Australia. An absolutely historic day for those women in that program. And just, despite the fact that I like the Australian program, uh, I had to give this my moment of the week. That was amazing for them. Yeah, there's been plenty of people talking about that, and I don't know um, if you just want to touch on that as well. Yeah, I think it was a great moment for them, and, and a shout out to the men's team as well, who also uh, got a bronze. Um, but I think it's just really important for women's rugby because obviously it's been in a, especially the 15s game, has been in a very bad place the last couple of years. 
Um, so for the women, the sevens to, to go out and do a job like that was, was just brilliant. And it really put them on the map. And there was a big crowd at the game too, which is great to see. A lot of Irish people in Perth, obviously. So a very... Um, a very good moments of the week, definitely better than mine. Well done, David. <laughs> well, they last year it was such a big deal that the, the, Ireland was like, well, we're willing to sacrifice the 15s program in order for the sevens program, and then the sevens program was terrible. So everybody kind of got screwed. So it was just a, it was great. You could see it on all their faces at the end of that one. Yeah. It was a, a moment of ecstasy. Brilliant. So shall we uh, get into the, this week's news then, mate? Yeah, sounds good. So we can just go through some maybe the the highlights. I think the big one for me with the Six Nations approach this began is that Marcus Smith now is officially out of the Italian game anyway, because that their England's campaign kicks off against the Italians away in Rome. And apparently it's almost a sellout, which is great to see as well. I don't mm-hmm. think that's something we're used to um, at home Italian games of late. So that that's definitely good to see. So it'll be really it'll be really, you know, interesting to see who Steve Worthrick goes with, will it be George Ford, or will he take a gamble with, you know, like a twenty year old one year old in Finn Smith? Uh, in worrying news, Melbourne Rebels officially entered into administration on Monday night. Uh, thankfully, Rugby Australia have stepped in uh, to ensure the team is able to participate in Super Rugby Pacific, which is literally just weeks away. Um, but it's yeah, it's very uncertain and worrying beyond that what's going to happen there. Um, other news, Jerry Flannery is rumoured to be heading to, to join the Springboks as defence coach after Felix Jones, another former Munster player, uh, joined the England setup recently. And after the release of full contact as well last week, there are some more rugby docs coming up that we just like to make people aware of. Um, so Whistleblowers is, is coming out in Rugby Pass TV. I believe it's this Thursday. Uh, basically a documentary on World Rugby's referees in the latest uh, World Cup. It's supposed to be really good, according to Jim Hamilton anyway, uh, on the rugby pod. That's what he was going I on about this morning. he is a best morning. interest or anything. <laughs> And um, so I think that's something to look forward because that's like that's something new as well. You you're like that is not something you'd, you'd see often. Um, and then there's also I'm sure you've both seen the the trailer for the Wallabies documentary that that's been made by Stan Sports. That looks really good and potentially quite explosive. But as of yet, we've no way of watching it in Ireland or the UK anyway. I'm not sure about yourself, David. And then. No, um, I, I haven't finally, seen a trailer or heard mention of it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I definitely, I definitely worth it looking it up on Twitter because it's, it's, it's really good. Um, and then one other show that's due to come out in the next couple of weeks, I believe, as well, is Chasing the Sun. I think they're calling it Chasing the Sun Two, which is a documentary on the Springboks uh, World Cup victory. So I'd say that's going to be really good. Thankfully, the first iteration of that was shown in Ireland and the UK on Sky. So hopefully that's the case again. But there's been nothing. Um confirmed it's a nice we problem talk about to some, uh, sorry it it's is. just a nice it's a nice problem to have like oh we haven't been able to think of a name for our second consecutive world cup winning documentary <laughs> like that's a problem i'd like us all to have really i just want to go back and touch on one of those stories so the story about the reds um obviously australia rebels. Oh, the rebels. rebels sorry the rebels um you know, the Australian teams haven't been having a great time in Super Rugby for a while now. And the Kiwis obviously tried to kick them out a couple of times and they went down to three teams and then back to five. I don't know if we thought that the Rebels would be the ones to go. I David, it's not a, it's not great vibes coming out of, uh, out of that country at the moment when it comes to rugby union, is it? No, the uh, just before we got on, I finished recording this week's app a little bit late, and I mentioned the exact same story, and it sounds like there's rumors that the Waratahs might be uh, heading down the same path, a lot of fear. 
it, it reminds me of Wales where everybody around is saying, you know what, you shouldn't have that many teams. And, and it, same thing. They're like, well, okay, but not my team. So mm. yeah, I, I think anyone would have assumed that if a pro, uh, if a team was going to shrivel up and die, it was going to be the Western force. But uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. This is sad news. I've been watching the, the rebels for a long time. They're always one of my, I always root for the underdog and they pretty much always are. So mm. I guess that's come home now. Yeah, it is massively so. And definitely, I agree that you would have thought it would be the Western Force because they were the ones who were kind of thrown together. Um, interesting fact about Australian rugby that I learned whilst researching a Sunday Read blog, blog uh, about um, like the second tier competitions in all the nations. So the competitions below Super Rugby and the URC and things. There is no Australian National Rugby Union competition. There was one up until, I want to say, 2020, 2021. It might even be before that. Um, and then it's just gotten rid of. And all they've got in Australia is like competitions within where the the Super Rugby franchises are. So like local city competitions and there's no nationwide rugby union competition. Uh, so there's no NPC, there's no Kerry Cup, there's no Welsh Premiership or whatever it is. So, yeah, that just goes to, to paint the picture. So at least they've got Joe Schmidt in now, who I'm sure... By hook or by crook, we'll start getting them results because I, I really respect that guy. I mean, it literally can't get any worse. <laughs> yeah, I'm so looking forward to that documentary. Um, okay, Ender, do we want to chat about uh, some games that happened? Yeah, I might. We'll start off, mate, with the, the only URC game of the weekend, and it was a cracking one between the Bulls and the Lions. I don't think anybody, certainly I didn't see the Lions running them that close. Um, did you guys get a chance to watch it? What, what are your thoughts, maybe, David? Did you? I think you you did watch this game. Is that right? Oh yes, it was it was great. Uh, like I said, uh, Hugh actually had to remind me that it was happening. I I just had it in my head. Oh yeah, the UFC's off this weekend, and I wasn't even looking for it. Then Hugh said something about he just randomly sent me a message saying, "By the way, the first game you should watch this morning should be Bulls Lions." And I was like, "Oh yeah!" And it was it was so good. I mean. Lions almost took them down in Pretoria. That would have been a huge deal. And it was just, it's funny too, Hugh, I know you you uh, like to check attendances and stuff. Visually, it looked like there was more Lions fans there than there are usually at home for the Lions. It was a, an odd phenomenon. Yeah, yeah that, um, I don't know if that is a, a thing, but it was a similar thing for the Sharks game as well. It looks like there were more Lions fans away at Sharks than there were home for Lions. I don't, I don't know if that is real or it's just clever camera work but it was 26,600 was there in the stadium which wow. is which is amazing but yeah um standout from the match for me was uh the lions 10 he was actually mainly a scrum half uh sonelli nohamba what a game he had but uh, it was almost my moment of the week where he dummied a drop goal then beat two men for no reason went back to the same spot where he dummied the drop goal from and actually kicked the drop goal and nailed like, it <laughs> And nailed and it nailed and made it, it look yeah. so easy. And it was like, what was that about? The the Bulls seem to have this thing at the moment where they can just be destroying you one minute and then just completely let you back in the game the next minute. So they didn't manage to get the bonus point, which I think they'll view as a massive missed opportunity. But the Lions aren't mugs, you know, for being the weakest supposedly mm. South African franchise. They are a good team and they've got no hammer and they've also got... Uh, and Slava Kanye, I probably butchered that um, horribly, but the 158 kg tight head prop, who is Ender's favourite player. Um, and did you see he absolutely melted someone as well? Yeah. 
That was yeah. so impressive. And their scrum again was so dominant. Um, like we always go back to it, don't we? The basics and they have a good set piece and that's why they are where they are. Um, I think the Sharks are actually recruiting a few of their players ahead of next season. Not sure if it's been confirmed, but apparently um, Chizuka is gone. Uh, he's going to be joining his brother in the Sharks, who was also used to play for the Lions. And Jordan Hendricks, I think as well, is on is on their radar, unfortunately. But yeah, I think that they've got a you know a strong spine of a team there, um, and it's just brilliant to see. Yeah. What other games did we get? Oh, sorry, David. Did you want to come in? One last thing on that. Oh, I was just going to say that, and of course, you know, the Bulls could have dropped that one, but it was that long distance penalty right at the end. Uh, Johan Hosen, yep. he nailed Good it from like Zimbabwe, I think. Yeah. Uh, that thing <laughs> sailed before it went through. That was unbelievable. He was having a bit of a stinker apart from that, I thought. Was it him that got stepped yeah. for the second Lions try with the with the line out? It was, it yeah. Was, yeah. Like it was, it was Hollywood, but it was... He got sent to the shops, as they say. Um, okay, some other games then. So another pod favourite that we like to talk about, UBB, lost at home to, uh, I've got it in my notes there, it was La Rochelle. It wasn't La Rochelle, it was Stade Francais. Um, I th- it was an, a, a late intercept, um, killed them in this. David, did you catch this one? What did you make of UBB's performance, maybe without some of their big stars? I did. They're they're my team in the top 14. I love those guys. I was kind of shocked by that result. Um, obviously, things are a little dicey in the week before Six Nations kicks off. Um, thought they had some missed opportunities. Stad, I can't I can't figure out what to make out out of them. Like same. They they run hot and cold. You never know. And it's not like the typical thing where people say, well, at home they're a monster and they don't care about the road. They're not. They don't seem predictable like that to me. They're just like you just never know which one of them is going to show up. Um, I thought Bordeaux should have been able to put that away, but like you say, that I think it was an intercept try at the end sealed the deal. Excellent game though, but um, I just am curious how Bordeaux are going to bounce back from this over the next few weeks. I noticed in the game that Bordeaux seemed to be stuck in this thing. They'd ru- they'd run it and they'd shovel it along the line, and then they'd get to the end and they'd do a miss one every time. Um, and eventually, one of the stats Francais guys figured it out and was like, "Oh, well, I'm just going to." When, when they get the ball to there, I know they're going to throw a miss one pass. And then he intercepted it and ran under the six, and that was the game. So, yeah, a bit of a shocker. Um, but one thing I will say is I, I've got a feeling that um, Ben Tamafuna might be the most informed player in the world right now. Mm. Like, he is, like, you don't normally say it about tire head props, but he, he is playing out of his skin every single time that I've watched him since the World Cup. Well, it's not Finn Russell. We know that. Well, let's come on to that now then. So Bri- Bristol Bath. Thought I would say we tee that up for you. Yeah. So we exchanged a couple <laughs> matches. Ender, did you catch much of this one? Bristol versus Bath. I did. Uh, defense was certainly optional, but it was an absolutely cracking game. Um, I, I like I've watched a couple of um, Premiership games this season, but obviously this past weekend, um, it was the main comp on. So. Caught a good few of the games, and this this was definitely the highlight for me. Um, I think all eyes are on Finn Russell after the Chasing the Sun documentary as well, and to see his kick at the end intercepted as well. Or yeah, I think he what he made a crossfield and then um, crossfield on his own in his own twenty-two, and it wasn't either. Yeah, of course he did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, an absolutely cracking game. Uh, A really good advertisement for the Premiership, like a sold out Ashton Gate. Um, like Bristol or what, maybe fourth from bottom as well. I think that's 
Like no matter like despite yeah. the fact that they've had poor like a poor season so far, they've had a poor season last year. They've had a bad run of form for the last couple of seasons, yet they're still managing to get big crowds in. I think that's that's really important, especially for the state of the game uh, in England, particularly at the beginning of this season. What about yourself, David? This is one of the games that was uh, definitely on your radar. What did you think? Yeah, it was it was completely bonkers. I'm I'm really curious what you guys think. So every week, every pod I listen to, pretty much at least there's a mention of you know grow the game. We got to grow the game. Rugby's mission right now is to grow the game. Is this what they mean? Is this what would would do it? If if games had a hundred points in them instead of being like six to nine at the end, and I like I like both. I'm happy to say okay, well we're just not going to play defense today. We'll see who wins the shootout at the end. <laughs> But I also like that when, you know, there's no tries in the entire game and there's three points between them. But are either of those things what the product is aiming for? Like, is this how you get new fans in? Just tons of scoring like this? I think tension is what makes games exciting and jeopardy. Mm. Um, And I think if you go into crazy high scoring, it kind of loses a bit of jeopardy because you're like, oh, well, they're just going to score. and there's no like risk to it. Um, was there jeopardy in this game? Maybe at times, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, let's be honest. If it's like a six points to three, it's probably not going to draw new fans. So there being tries helps. Um, I don't know because sometimes I watch Super Rugby games and they they have that kind of scoreline, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. This isn't. This is almost not enjoyable. So I don't know, but maybe I'm just grumpy. Maybe I, I just. I like a bit of a slog fest and I'm a bit of a purist and I don't, I don't like try fests. I think they get to a point and they're just silly. Um, but maybe a, a new fan would be like, Oh no, yeah, this is good. Yeah. I think th- just variety is key. Like I don't mind a high scoring game. Like I really enjoyed that game and at times it didn't seem like Bath would be able to even get back into it. And um, so I thought that was definitely enjoyable, but I think once every game isn't like that. And once like I do enjoy, and I'm sure you guys too, do those, those games that end nine, six or six, zero, or those games that are just, you know, com- really competitive and low scoring, but you know, everything else is at a, at a high level. And there's a really big battle at set piece um, at line out, you know, head, you know, head to heads, all of that um, can add to it. Like some of the world cup games might've been a bit lower scoring, but they were absolutely cracking games. But I think once there's a bit of variety for me, um, that's key and and one thing i definitely don't enjoy is the one-sided games i think we'd all probably agree on that like i know we um david you mentioned offline that we had you know a premiership uh women's rugby game on this weekend which is completely one-sided i think it ended what 54 to 3 um you know that's that's not a that's not a healthy scoreline for me um i don't think anyone really enjoys that but i think yeah it depends but i think yeah when you're trying to get new new fans in they definitely probably want high scoring um, but we need those games for the purists like us, don't we? The three, yeah. the, well, you know, when, whenever you look at a pro the result at half or yeah, score at halftime is always like six zero or six three. Well, quietly under the radar on this one, it was Kyle Sinclair's hundredth appearance in the Premiership, which I thought was pretty cool. But really grown to like him as a player. I guess he's probably yeah. in the, the twilight area of his career, but he still can bring it. He he played well, I thought, and it was good to see him get his hundredth cap. Um, I brought a couple of funny numbers for you guys um the lowest score out of all the games i watched this week so that's the premiership and the top 14 and uh that one that one game in the pwr which i wasn't allowed to see because they didn't show it here um but the the lowest total score was 38 
And <laughs> they all went up from there, including a, a, a 50, yeah, a 51 point difference for the Sharks women versus the Chiefs women. Just the scoring just went off the charts this week. I wonder if it's a lot of the, you know, the internationals being away and the people who step up are keen on showing their offensive skills, but kind of let it slip on the other end. Yeah, well, actually, that just reminds me that uh, there was a still image going around on Twitter, so again, from Full Contact, where Steve Tandy um, goes, he's Scotland defence coach, and he he said to them, like, defence isn't just about the forwards, it's about the, the 9, the 10, the 14, everybody. And I was like, really? At international level, they have to tell them that? <laughs> I feel like I could be a rugby coach. Like, I've, I've got other suggestions. Um, push harder at scrums and um, don't drop the ball as much. I feel like I feel like I could contribute. <laughs> Go that way really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. <laughs> so maybe maybe that's maybe that's it. at a club level they don't teach back, backs to defend. Maybe that's what it is. Right. So we uh, we mentioned uh, your experience of watching rugby in America there. So let's come on to that. So how does how does someone in the USA get into rugby? Were you born into it was your family always into it have you come to it later in life or 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 what was your story with it well i I, i'm sure i've told the story before so yeah nobody in my family cares about rugby um my partner's starting to get interested the the women's world cup those last the two semifinals in the final really turned her into a convert so she comes to the free jacks games with me now but she's not going to sit down and watch glasgow versus Cardiff on saturday at 11 a.m um and i literally don't know anyone like this weekend is the Six Nations. I don't know a single person that I can call and say, hey, want to come over and watch the Six Nations? We'll put it on the big screen, you know, got the new sound system. No, everyone would be like, the Six what? Um, in high school, a friend of mine went on this specialized program uh, that involved spelunking in New Zealand. And when he came back, he said, there's only two things you need to know. There's only one sport in the world that matters. It's called rugby. The New Zealand team is the best at it and always will be. And you need to know that Swan Dries are really nice coats. <laughs> and apparently both those things are arguably still true. But um, I was like, okay, what's this rugby thing? But it's just not on TV. It's not on regular TV. It's not on cable. It's not on ESPN. If you're coming back from a bar at 3 a.m. and you're like, well, I'm going to flip around. Every couple of years, there's a rugby game on. It's like, oh, this is that rugby thing. And the, I, I vividly remember seeing people in the stands holding signs say, try, try. And I'm like, try? Don't you mean kill them? Don't you mean get them? Don't you mean dominate, win, try? Like, oh, they tried. That's fine. You know. Uh, so it's, it's, it's opaque to try to worm your way in. And since I don't know a bunch of people who say, oh, yeah, well, let me explain this bit. Let me explain that bit. Um, I was lucky, however, because I'm friends with um, a woman named Jan Rutkowski, who's a USA Hall of Famer. She played in the first two Rugby World Cups. She scored a try against England oh, in wow. our defeat of them, by the way. Uh, and once I, you know, she was she was a co-worker, sort of who turned into a friend. And is uh, once I learned that she was a Hall of Famer, I was just like bugging her constantly. Well, what, what's, what's this? What about that? And um, she was the one who pointed me towards Super Rugby, which is the competition she particularly likes. And, you know, she's a, a Crusaders fan, a lifelong Crusaders fan. I was like, well, I can't pick the Crusaders then. I guess I'll pick the Highlanders. And it's been downhill ever since. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was I was very lucky to have one person who's an expert who I could rely on. 
Um, other than that, it's really been, you know, I, I search it out. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, this year, this competition is on ESPN Plus. Next year, it's on Peacock. Next year, it's on Flow. Next, it, it, it runs into all these different places I've never seen. But you start to slowly figure it out. Um, it's interesting, too. Jen always liked to talk about how she hates watching rugby in America when it's produced here. Because mm. the comms feel compelled to kind of explain the really basic stuff. And, and you say PK instead of penalty. <laughs> <laughs> they might think that was too tough. Uh, but so, so they do have an obligation. You know, we already mentioned growing the game. They want more fans to see this and go, I want to keep watching this. So you can't just say nothing. But where is that line? Because the people, a lot of the people who are watching, it's because they are rugby fans and they know mm what these terms mean and they start to feel annoyed if you keep hammering them with the basics even now that's a really it's a thing that american broadcasting really struggles with is walking the line between teaching people about the game and just letting them enjoy it um so i really had to parse through things myself a, lo a lot of it is you know you you know what it means but the terminology is just different um everyone equates rugby union with nfl style gridiron code football um and there's a lot of similarities, but the terminology is all completely out of whack. You know, even really simple things like we say out of bounds and you say into touch out versus in. But they do this. It's the same thing. Like even it that is like, sense. wait a second. Yeah, yeah. we, we, we can admit that. <laughs> it's, it's difficult when you're sitting there by yourself trying to figure it out, you know. Um, but eventually you catch on and stuff. So I'm sure we're going to talk about full contact later. And I, I thought it was interesting that that show doesn't try at all to explain anything. Yeah. There was the, uh, the Amazon series, the all or nothing, uh, all or nothing series with the all blacks in, I think 2015. And that is a teaching show. They, and every rugby fan I know hated it. Cause they're like, how long do we have to watch them stitching 11 on Rico Ioani's Jersey? We get it. And I'm like, and I'm sitting there going, what your number's not your number. It's just the number you're wearing that day. It might not be that number. Like, all of that stuff was brand new for me. So I thought I, it was revelatory for me, but you know, people who were already rugby fans, I think hated it. I think full contact, full contact said, we're not doing that. We're just going to show it to you. Lots of slow-mo, lots of overdub sound effects. And then we'll concentrate on the people, which is, which is good. It's fun. Cool. So, um, and you're obviously the broadcast guy. So what, what's, what is like the, the experience of watching rugby in the U S? Sorry, Dave. Yeah. So just in terms of like platforms, like so how you said it's quite difficult, like who who is the go to broadcaster or is it all like I know the rugby it changes network are showing year quite to year, a but the, the big one is Flow Rugby by a lot. They, you know, they they have the top 14. They have the URC. Um, geez, I have to double check to see if they have six nations this year, but they carry Super Rugby uh, last year. The first time I got to watch the FPC in addition to the NPC, which is really nice. Um, so they they even have some college rugby thrown in there. So um, they are the go-to place. Everyone hates them. I complain about them all the time. It's it's unreliable. You, you click on one replay and it's actually a different replay. Um, things don't get posted when they say. On the other hand, that's what I want to be watching, and they've they're the only ones who've got it. Um, last year, Peacock carried the sevens. This year, they don't. That's a weird mix where you can watch the pool stages on one network and the finals on a different one some of them offer replays some of them don't um it's just a constant search once the season ends 
you have to start searching, okay, who's picked up this contract for the next year, if anyone? Where am I going to be able to find this? Um, but Flow is the go-to one, unfortunately. Okay. And what about the, the rugby network? Because I know that's something, and I know we're going to talk about it later in terms of MLR. That seems to be the go-to place now for the Prem, for PWR, and for obviously the MLR domestically as well. Is that something you, you sign up for? Are they, are they the street competitions shown or do they show other ones? And what's it like in terms so, of cost then? I loved the rugby network when they came out because it was completely free. You, you sign up, but you don't even give them a credit card for later or anything like that. It's just, here you go. And they carried, I think, every single MLR game that way um, and all the replays and everything like that. It's great. Plus, they're sort of linked with Rugby Pass, so they have, you know, some of the Jim Hamilton crap and uh, other random stories. Um, but I, I kind of like some of that fluff stuff, too. Uh, and then they were like, well, we got, we're getting the Prem now. We're going to start charging. They, This is, in fact, on the show that's – my show that's going to come out in a few hours uh, – it's the first time I've really openly complained about them because I finally ponied up the dough to actually watch. And the, this weekend, when there's only one PWR match, they're like, eh, we're not going to show it. They just skipped it. And like, if you're watching it live, but you're a little behind and it ends, it's cut off and then it won't come back for five hours. You have to be looking for it. You have to search for team names to find matches at all sometimes. It's just, it's awkward. Um, I don't think the broadcast quality is that top but we'll see because mlr is coming back soon and i don't know if they're going to keep it behind this paywall that they're using for the prem or it's going to be back to normal um i haven't actually heard definitively yet so we'll find out okay. what do you in make terms it... of... oh, sorry go on uh, no it's just going to move on then to like we haven't probably mentioned the urc like what would be your your go-to leagues to watch is are you a firm believer in urc equals best league or it like is URCTV there actually on a side note or is that no. on flow as well? Yep. It's on flow. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I started watching super rugby and so that just became what I thought it was. The product was supposed to look like. So it's still kind of my wow. favorite. Um, it's got a lot of warts. The, the, like we already talked about the, the difference, the gap between the Kiwi teams and the Australian teams is so severe that it kind of takes some of the fun out of it. You don't want to start every game and feel like you know for a fact who's going to win. And it, it started to kind of feel like that. But we'll see how I feel about it when it comes back, I guess, at the end of February. Um, because in the meantime, I've slowly been coming a convert to the URC. I think it was already it was always my second favorite. Um, the Premiership just always felt too isolated for me. Um, I, maybe if you're English, it means a lot more to you. But I don't know. It, it's not as different well, URC matches look different <laughs> <laughs> but the uh the fact that it, you know in the urc you might have one game where it's absolutely a blizzard and another game where everyone in the audience is wearing an undershirt or no shirt at all because it's in south africa and it's boiling like i love that i love the variety of the weekend all the teams play differently um, they have different attitudes the broadcasts are different depending on where they're being broadcast from it's just such a compelling league. It, obviously, it would be nice to have a little more parity. Um, with the, it, it's such tough times for the Welsh regions right now, and it it just it's annoying. It, it as an outside observer, it feels like the Welsh teams should be much better than they are. And it's, you know, I, I read about all the problems and I understand why things are the way they are, but it's still disappointing every week. But uh, yeah, it's slowly becoming my favorite. You know, I, I'm 
I became a Connacht fan. Uh, actually, it was funny. Early in my watching, I reached out to them because I learned there's the the Connacht clan, uh, clan Connacht. You can join the Clan Connacht and and you know get the special newsletter and this other stuff. And but they had no way for you to pay in dollars. Their their you know POS wouldn't convert. So I emailed somebody who was like, hey, I'd really like to join this. She was like, oh, that's so great. You know, somebody from America wants to join. That's great. Never heard back after that. Reached out one more time like, hey, I've got this money I'd like to hand to you. No answer. So, <laughs> but uh, Connacht, I just loved, uh, I love watching them play in Galway because it's such a, a wind tunnel. It's like playing in a twister yeah. every single weekend. You never know which way the ball is going to go when it gets kicked. It's it's so much fun. It must be hell to play there but uh i don't know i feel like it's a sneaky advantage for them too it's a beautiful spot i've been to galway and it's you we walk around the bay and it's literally there on, on the thing and i don't i don't remember it being particularly windy when i was there but they must <laughs> they they must just turn it on when the when the rugby comes to town yeah i can attest it it's, it's a windy uh it's a windy location it's not even the wind that's the worst it, it's it's the rain and it's the cold and um, but now that they've got this new pitch it's it's taken away from that slightly, and um, but I still think teams fear coming to Connacht. I'm from um, Galway, David, so I'm a I am a, a Connacht fan as well. So it's good to hear um, that you're a fan too. Well, one of the people I feel luckiest to have had come on my show was Bernard Jackman, and I got to ask him about it. You know, tell him I'm a oh. Connacht fan, and and we talked about the the hierarchy in the Irish clubs, and I was like. What am I doing, Birch? You know, <laughs> what, what, am I wasting my time being a fan of Connacht? Like, what is there for me as a fan of Connacht that, to look forward to? And he didn't skip a second, and he just said hope. And I was like, the way he said it, just you know, it's Birch. You, you kind of feel it <laughs> when, when he says, "Look it, you you're gonna look it." And uh, I was like, oh, hope. You, you know, maybe I should stop worrying and and stop complaining and just have that hope. And they went on like a three game tear right after that. I was like, Bernard's right. <laughs> and uh anyway business as usual since then well you won the pro 12 a few years ago the the four runs of the usc so there's always that i think you won it a couple of seasons before scarlet's won it so we're kind of in the same boat um so so kind of on that you know you talked about the prem being slightly isolated i heard you on your show talking about like the derbies and you were saying like are you telling me these are different places? Are you telling me Blath and Gloucester are different places? Because <laughs> like, obviously from a, a USA kind of thing, and I guess Australians must have the exact same thing. Like when yeah. I we, I had it with um, Scoop on the Scoop podcast um, where he was like, well, moving from England to France isn't a big deal, is it? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, to us, that's crazy. So like, do, are we like funny little people to you? Are you like, <laughs> that world is so small. I certainly would not put it that way. And it is funny if you look at a map of Australia and just sort of look for the locations of their Super Rugby franchises, it's like four all here together clustered on this nice coast. And then the Western force, they are not <laughs> hidden. It is out there. Like every team must be like, wait, what? We have to go where? Are you kidding? But uh, it just it just seems funny because when you watch the premiership broadcasts, the announcers, of course, know all these local rivalries and everything and it is a big deal you do feel like this is my region it represents me i'm i'm like this i'm not like that so it's a big deal i, I just looking at a map i don't know those things so I, I don't know off the top of my head what's the closest team to gloucester which what's their local derby i don't even know because i'm not that familiar with the map of england so it all kind of feels like well i hear 
I don't know. It, it, it seems like they exaggerated, but I know it's real for them. It's just weird as an outsider. And I think as we were talking about, or maybe as I was complaining about on the show, when the some of the, some of the talk about like, oh, they've gone all the way, you know, for this massive game, they they traveled all the way across, and I'm like, yeah, and it took them three hours. Like you could get there this afternoon, you could That's leave work far for us, and still be there in time for the game that night, you know, like. But if you got in a car in Boston and drove to a Free Jacks game in Seattle, you'd be sitting in your car for 45 hours. So like, it just seems completely skewed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's it, one it, of the biggest things the uh, the players in the MLR, especially who come from New Zealand, if you're if you're an NPC player used to playing in tiny little New Zealand, and then you come here and you're in Boston today, and then you're in Houston tomorrow, and then you're in Seattle the next day, and you're in San Diego, it's nuts. They, they, they have a hard time uh, adjusting to the travel. Yeah, it, it, it's like that on steroids in Wales, because all of the Welsh regions are within just over an hour of each other. And um, that's all four of them. And you get people saying like, nope, I don't support them because they're not my local team. And you're like looking at a map and you're like, mm-hmm. pretty sure they are. But you, you can't know. <laughs> they're not your team, but they're next to your grocery store. Yeah, it's like, oh, they're not local to me. Like, it's just 20 minutes drive. But um, it's that's how it is. It, and people are very fiercely tribal in, in Wales and they're very proud of their small communities and they have that connection. So, you know, it, it's just different strokes for different folks, I guess. Well, my uh, my dad's side of the family is from Texas, so I go down there a lot as a kid. And one day I realized every time I say, they say OK, we're going to go to the movies, we're going to go to the store or something and say, oh, well, how far uh, how long is it going to take? And they say, About 45 minutes. One day I was like, Dad, have you noticed that everything here is 45 minutes away from everything else? He's like, that's not true. And then sure enough, my grandmother walks in. And she's like, OK, we're ready to go. And I said, how long it'll, will it take? She's like, about 45 minutes. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's that's local. You know, that, that's not going far. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I, I was when, when people talk about the URC and like, oh, people have to fly to away games. It's ridiculous. I'm like, in Australia, people have to fly to domestic games. Right. <laughs> That's, that's the truth of it and MLR um so on MLR then as well so what are you expecting from that league this year obviously there's slightly fewer teams than there were this time last year you've got some teams that have rebranded and we've got a Miami a brand new team as well so yep. it's controversial Miami Sharks as well like I remember the uh Durban Sharks CEO put a tweet out about that he was not too happy with that name I feel like that was calculated. I think I think he just wanted some headlines to bring people's attention to his team. You know, he was like, "Oh, sharks appeared." You know, maybe he was searching for the term shark, and he was like, "Hey, that's mine." <laughs> was it you who suggested we do Shark Week? And I don't the think so. I wish I had thought of that. Oh, <laughs> someone suggested. I do. Shark I do week. want there to be a Wizard of Oz, Lions and Tigers, and Bears tour. Ah, that would be good. I hope that happens in Europe and then there's the Wizard of Oz group and only we three will know what we're talking about. But anyway, <laughs> I did ask you a question there. So what are we expecting from MLR? It's funny. I, I, I didn't think you were going to ask me about the MLR. Um, I'm feeling kind of salty about it right now. We've had this new team, you know, lost two teams in quick succession. They had finished, finalized the schedule. Oh, no, throw it away. Start that whole process over, which must be a nightmare. Then a week later, oh, by the way, just kidding, start the process over again. And then after they got that done and told everybody, they messaged all of us, all the season ticket holders got you know personalized messages. Here it is, finally the schedule. And I, a lot of the Free Jacks fans, they travel. They, so as soon as they know, okay, we're playing Seattle on this date, they book that ticket that day. 
So I know personally five or six people who bought airline tickets, hotels and everything. And now that schedule is not the schedule anymore because there's this new team that, and I don't want to pretend I have complete grasp of how it happened, but what I believe is world rugby was like, Hmm, you guys have a world cup coming in less than eight years. You didn't even qualify for the last world cup. You don't look like you're in a great state right now. And it's not good for the game if the host nation looks bad at, a, at an event like this. So we want to help you guys get better. So they said, hey, MLR, you've got a new franchise now. And it's based out of the, the Hawks team, which is like the developmental squad for the Eagles. And the idea is because obviously MLR teams, we have some domestic players and we have lots of Kiwis, lots of South Africans. We have many foreign players. There's a cap on how many you can have, but people... Definitely like to be at that level if you want to be, you know, that's why Ma'ananu was facing us in the final last year and why, why Saki Naholo knocked us out of the playoffs the year before. Um, but this club is supposed to be for Americans. This is a developmental American team. They told with just weeks left to go, they're like, by the way, there's this new team. And it was, it felt like there's nothing you can do about it. You have to sit there and say, thank you, sir. Can I have another? And I think it makes us look stupid. I think it makes the league look weak. Um, I'm overly irritated about the thing right now. And they're probably not going to be very good, right? So now there's kind of a, a chump squad. Through, I mean, and maybe I'm wrong about that. I'd be happy to be wrong. But it seems like there's going to be a bit of a walkover side. And I know I want the Eagles to be good too. It's going to be a painful process to get there. And so maybe this is that route. But I wish MLR had had the power to say, hey, that's a great idea. We're on board. We want to help. Next year. We've already been through this twice in the last month. Things are finalized. Fans have bought tickets. If we tell them once again, cancel that plane ticket, like it really makes us look bad. So you're going to have to wait. And it didn't seem like we had the power to do that, which makes us, to me, it makes us look bad. It makes us look kind of stupid and like you can just push us around. And I mean, maybe that's the reality and I should just get used to that or something, but I, I'm very frustrated with the, the latest development in MLR. That being said, I've got my season tickets all set. I'm wearing my Free Jacks gear right now. I've got my founding member scarf on. Uh, I'm all geared up for that. We have our festivals planned. Uh, it's going to be a, a great year to be a Free Jacks fan. Um, it's just a little frustrating the way things have gone in Major League Rugby in the last year or so. Okay, Except for well, winning a championship. That was pretty good. Yeah, so fingers crossed that things you, you've had your dip now, and it's all it's all uh, sunny, sunny skies from here. Okay, so let's talk Six Nations then. It is that time of year. I'm not calling it Sixmas, um, but we do like it. So, what what's getting us hyped this year, um, Ender? What's what's different about this year? What's exciting about this year? Because it's it is amazing that it never feels stale, does it? It never feels like you never. No one's ever going, oh, again already. Yeah, that, that's such a good point. And it's so accurate. And again, we, we've spoken about this in terms of the domestic season. Like after the World Cup, we all thought we'd be, you know, sick of rugby. And then, you know, we've seen attendance and viewing figures and everything that that there's huge interest still in rugby after the World Cup. Um, and now we've got a Six Nations coming up. And I think everyone's extremely excited about it. And, and for me, the biggest thing is just how teams are going to react to world cup disappointments like none of none of the six nations teams won the world cup both france and ireland were both favorites uh didn't make it even to the final so i think like like 
how good is this Friday night game coming up? I think it's going to be an eight o'clock kickoff, probably about three p.m. for you, David. Like that's that to me is probably the game almost of, of the championship. Well, certainly probably the game that's going to determine who wins. Um, but just yeah, seeing how France and Ireland react, um, seeing how England have progressed under Steve Brother, if at all, where are Wales at? Um, are Scotland going to be there thereabouts? You know, Italian rugby, where is that at? You know, we've had the two the teams in the URC have probably their best ever seasons almost. Um, just it's it's just exciting. There, there's so much interest in all of the teams. It seems like all the teams are in a better place now. Um, I know there's still that caveat around Wales, but it's Warren Gatland and it's Wales and it's Wales and the Six Nations. So, yeah, I'm just hugely excited about it. And I think with, you know, full contact coming out, like obviously it was quite similar to the drive to survive timing. It was released a couple of weeks before the tournament started. And that was obviously done on purpose. So that that for me, I know we're going to talk about it later in terms of the merits and how good the show actually was. But I think that was obviously smart and it's it's, it's added to the build up, hasn't it? Um. And hopefully we'll we'll see that reflected in maybe a bit more, you know, people watching it and everything. But yeah, it's hugely exciting just just seeing how teams react, um, or see how teams have reacted to to the World Cup and and see if we see it new. And um, hopefully there'll be the odd surprise. Um, what about yourself, David? Like, what are you most looking forward to? Are you hyped? Oh, very, very much so. The the only disappointing things about Six Nations are, for me are the gaps between, and they, they deserve and need a week off here and there. I just wish it was five consecutive weeks. I, I wish you could have that continually mounting drama for five weeks in a row. I think it'd be so great. But that being said, it's going to be an incredible opening weekend. I couldn't agree more that the France-Ireland game is probably going to show us who's going to be on top. Are we? I don't know if we're doing predictions later. I actually, I see France we'll taking to, that one. We'll come to predictions, yes. Um, there's always the, so it used to be more so the case when, when Italy were more the sort of whipping boys, uh, that I do think they've that come a long way though they didn't have a good world cup, but, um, they round two and round three, the Sunday game is Ireland versus Italy and then France versus Italy. So Italy are away, you know, two games in a row. It's the only game on Sunday. I always think it's a mistake to put the Italy game on Sunday when it looks like they're going to get massacred because it's like, oh, wow, all this incredible stuff on Saturday. I, oh, I Sunday, swear should I even Ireland tune is, in? Yeah, I swear Ireland Italy is always on a Sunday and it's the least interesting game in the whole world. Yeah. We've talked about it on this podcast before. If you put it first on a Saturday, it can be like you're sort of like, okay, get warmed up for the big one at the end of the day and then you still have a nice cracker left for you on Sunday. I, I wish they wouldn't do that because I've been complaining about it for so long now. It must be that that's just what they do. And they're like, nope, plug and play. This is how we do it. But um, even though that first opening match this weekend looks like perhaps the most important one, Scotland going to Cardiff to see if they can win for the first time in 22 years. That's what I'm looking forward to this this weekend. That could be amazing. I think I imagine that. I don't know if you look at such things. Do you look at the odds? Are, are Scotland favorites heading to Cardiff this time? Uh, I don't know. I, I would guess they're a few points favorite, but I don't know. History weighs heavy. That it does. That it does. Right. So let's uh, talk about each individual team then. So we're going to go around and give uh, what we think uh, the thing, the narrative is maybe for each team. And then we're going to pick uh, one player to watch from each team as well. So we start with England or as, as one should say. So let's talk about England. <laughs> um, should so, one say that it's what they do say so uh david what what do you think of england and are you uh are you a anyone but england 
fellow person. I am. It's it's fun. You know, <laughs> hating on the English is always fun. It just is. Like, uh, it, it feels like you're allowed to. It's just so easy. Not, I know. It's also so easy. They they kind of deserve it. And at the same time, it kind of rolls off their backs anyway. So, you know, no blood, no foul, I guess. And uh, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I'm always rooting for them to lose, of course. And uh, but to be honest, I have no idea what to make of what they're going to be like um, without Faz in there. And now knowing no Marcus, uh, it's going to be, a, I think, a much different team to look at. Um I still don't know what to make of Borthwick. Uh, they obviously did much better at the World Cup than I had anticipated, but I don't know if that was just the quirkiness. I don't know if that was because of that awful caterpillar ruck themed attacking style where they were like, "Well, we're going to have the ball and play. You're going to get the ball for like 15 seconds this game." And wingers don't it, touch the ball. No, it it was kind of excruciating. It's funny though because if you find a winning tactic, you should use it. You know, it, like we can all complain about the way it looked to sit there and watch them, but they also did much, much better than I think most people expected. So you can't really say that's bad coaching or that's a bad team. They executed the game plan and it worked. So, you know, it's it's up, up to me that I don't like it as my taste. But um, but because of the changes, the people who've left and people who are injured, I just have no idea what to think we're going to see from them. Um. I kind of have them penciled in to lose to Italy in the opening weekend. I think they're going to be a little oh, yes. confused. <laughs> Someone else I think thinks they're going to be that. a little... Because they haven't adjusted yet as a new team. Losing Marcus is probably bigger than we think. And Italy are going to be in Rome. The place is going to be... The atmosphere at that stadium is going to be unbelievable. So, I've, anyway, I have a hard time saying, knowing what I'm going to expect from England this year. Um, they They seem the most in flux out of all the teams, though I guess... Italy have been the most schizo in the last year or so. So, yeah. So I'm um, just the narrative around England in the English press is that it's a fresh team. But if, if I go through the team that lined up in the semi-final against South Africa, the front four are the same. So Joe Marler, Jamie George, Dan Cole, Maratoje. Then George Martin's been dropped, which is a big surprise. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Courtney Laws is retired. Uh, Tom Curry's injured. So that's why it's fresh. There is that the players that they were mm. picking are unavailable. And then you go into the backs. Alex Mitchell is obviously still around. Owen Farrell has stepped away. Uh, Elliot Daly is bizarrely still going. Manu Tuolagi is injured. Joe Marchant is not available in France. Johnny May has stepped away. So when we say it's fresh, it's not like Borthwick has gone, I could still pick all these players, but I'm just not going to. It's, uh, mm. oh, crap, I have to refresh the team because they're not available. And, you know, during the World Cup, everyone was saying they're playing to their strengths with this incredibly dull rugby which you know if it's winning it's fine it's not dull if it's winning um and everyone was like oh they're playing to their strength it's smart it's clever they're playing to their strengths and yet now here we are on the eve of the six nations everyone's going oh, i hope england cut loose i hope england starts chucking the ball around i hope they start playing exciting and i'm like one why would they do that where when the other way worked and two it they they would never be able to just flick the switch and go to that overnight like if they tried to just flick and be a running attacking team, it would be massively risky and they would probably get undone because they're never going to catch up to like France playing that way. And then just second, I just don't think they've got the players for it. I just, I just don't think Yeah, You might say, yeah, oh, um, Queens and Northampton are, are doing well, but it's a different kettle of fish at international level, so especially compared to the premiership. So, 
when do you think the clock strikes midnight on Joe Marler? Because don't forget, like he retired before the 2019 World Cup and then was kind of called back up and reluctantly came. Played well, I thought. But, you know, the, that final iconic scene of, of Cheslin Colbe getting that final try to mm. put the nail in the coffin. The trailer you see behind him sort of going from run to jog to walk is Joe Marler. And that was five years ago now. So how much longer I, I, is this going to happen? I don't know. I mean, Joe, uh, sorry, Dan Cole is still going as well. And he, he he's kind of in the same boat. I don't know. I guess it's up for someone to displace them. But England have not been able to bring to new, through new talent um, for years now. I think that's a lot to do with Eddie Jones and what he did while he was there. But I don't know. It, Ellis Genge should be the guy displacing him. I think Ellis Genge was captain for a while, but... I guess it's when someone better comes along, I guess. I think Cole is actually technically undead now, so I don't think that's the same <laughs> ballgame. Okay. And what's your England thoughts? Yeah, I could easily see them losing this weekend. They're really good. Um, I do think they'll finish second from bottom, if not bottom. Um but it is like maybe we're being a bit harsh, but as you said, like I, I just don't I don't think they're their game plan. I think they will probably try to play more rugby. I think they'll they'll have to because you're not going to beat the Ireland or France in this world playing that that game. You're simply not. We're too good. Um, especially from an Irish perspective. Um but yeah, I just like it's really uncertain for me how that how they play. And and like to give to be fair to Steve. At the beginning of like last like the last six nations, he had very little time with him to actually implement any sort of game plan apart from you know kick chase, and um, so he's obviously had a lot more time than now. He's been with them at a World Cup. They did do better than everybody expected. Their, their confidence, I mean, they're English. Their confidence is probably high. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really uncertain how they'll do, but I, I could easily see them being being quite poor again, uh, especially and and then if and then of course if they do try to play this more expansive game. They could completely get um, unstuck and just get really have a tough time out there. But I'd say there'll be a good variety to their game. And um, but I still think that they'll stick to their fundamentals and they'll kick an awful lot of ball and put pressure on and play with massive physicality. But I just don't think they're up for it. I just don't think like th- they have it in them uh, to do well. I think Steve Warthwick needs more time with them, and it, it, this might be a long process for England to get back to where they were years ago at, at this stage. Um, but yeah, we'll see. But I'm just I if I were an English fan, I would not be not be confident going into the, this competition. Uh, you see, um, you wouldn't make a good England fan with talk like that. <laughs> right, let, let's, let's move on to Ireland, though. <laughs> okay, so with Ireland, then. so the elephant in the room for Ireland and has been for well over a decade now. Can you do it without Johnny Sexton? Yeah, and that that's the big question. And for me, I think Ireland, and I've said this previously on pods, like. We seem to play better when he's on the pitch because he drives down us because he's such a leader and because he leads by example and all those things, all those great attributes that we know he has. I still think like Ireland are based, they've basically picked the, the World's Cup quad plus a few. You know, I mean, it, it's there there haven't been a, a lot of new caps, if any, really. Like I know there are some in maybe the, the wider squad, but um Farrell has named a squad to go out and win this thing and he's not he's not experimenting as far as I can see he's going out to which is what Ireland traditionally do they put out their best team don't experiment and they just go out to, to win this thing and you know let's not forget Ireland beat the world champions at the world cup so I really think 
but obviously Sexton played in that game. Um, I really think Ireland have it in them to to win this thing. Again, it comes down to, to Friday. But it's just, yeah, like, it's really hard to see what it's, you know, the, the effect um, with Sexton's accent, like with Sexton's absence and how much that's going to affect the team and everything. But, like, apart from him, it, it's pretty much the exact same players. Um, and O'Mahony is, like, a really good replacement, especially in terms of captain. He, he does not take... Uh, a backward step he's very confrontational he's always that one either starting a fight or jumping in for somebody if somebody pushes one of his players he is the first player to jump in which I kind of I love watching that and and let's not forget Crowley as well like he's been in great form for Munster Uh, he did get game time at the World Cup Um, and yeah he's really shown uh, that that he could potentially step up so let's let's let him try and, and see how he gets on um and just, yeah, for me, I know we've talked about players to watch as well. For Ireland, for me, is going to be Joe McCarthy. I got to see him up close and personal um, at a Leinster game recently. I think he's he can really put it up to squads. I think he's potentially going to start against France. I think he's that good young player, but a really strong ball carrier, really physical. He is an absolute nightmare to play against at rough time. He is just, like, he gives away quite a few penalties. Um, gets away with murder. But- I get away with murder like a lot of Leicester players, but um, I think he's going yep. to definitely be one to definitely one one to watch. Um, what about you guys? What are your thoughts? You go, David. Uh, you mentioned Peter O'Mahony, the player I think I, I most love to hate. You'd have to be a moron to say he's not a great player. He's obviously a great player, and man, I want him to fail. I just, oh man, oh man. <laughs> there was a time he put it what I thought was a super cheap shot on Stuart Hogg several years ago, I think put Stewart out of the game. No, no citation of any kind, no penalty, just keep on. And then he ends up player of the match. And I was like, that's it. I hate this guy. (laughs) (laughs) On the other hand, it's fun to, you know, Bill Simmons likes to talk about sports hate. It's not real hate. I certainly don't hate Peter Hamani. I I have a feeling he's a great guy. See, you know, the little clips of him in his garden with his son and stuff. It's like, you got to love the guy. And if he was on my team, I would be his biggest fan. 100%. Um, 100%. So, but it's so much fun to root against him. I am curious, um, Enda, is this the year or is this the Six Nations when Ireland say, damn it, we let Ben Healy get away? That's a great question. We'll find out soon enough. I do think Crowley um, is potentially a step ahead of him, though. Like, I really do. I think he's been that good for for Munster he's young um, I saw a, a Ronan O'Gara clip today or or quote I should say and he's and he said basically he thinks Crowley's probably one of the first players to ever actually say no to him like he had a chance to go to La Rochelle and he didn't he backed himself and now didn't he's probably going to be yeah and now he's going to be starting for Ireland against France this coming Friday say, say so, no to Rog as well yeah like a player with that kind of you know mentality and that drive um, I think really could be one for the future. But like it is really interesting. And, and Ben Healy, like you can't deny, like he's been absolutely outstanding for Edinburgh so far this season and um, deserves a spot in, in this Scotland squad. Uh, will he get much game time with, with Russell? I, you know, playing, I I don't know. Um, but yeah, really, it'll be really interesting to, to watch this space, especially if there are a couple of injuries. Hugh, you mentioned Ronan O'Gara. I love the way he's like figured out some sort of cheat code where every couple of weeks he gets suspended and then the next week comes around and there he is. He's just like yeah. five feet further away from the bench or five feet away from the coach's box, wandering around the stadium, shouting yeah. at people. I'm like, didn't you? Okay. 
You expect to look up and he's like 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 Bane or something. He's up, <laughs> up on the up on the rafters. <laughs> oh my God, is that Ronan O'Gara's music? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh God, I don't want to hear Ronan O'Gara's music. I bet it's rubbish. Anyway, <laughs> Scotland then. I'm not going to do my Scotland thoughts because I'm mean about Scotland. So, David, Scotland for me. Take it away. <laughs> uh, naturally, the the hope it's starting to to build. I'm I'm desperately smacking it, trying to keep it down, but it keeps growing anyway. It's really difficult. Um, it was, the the last time I I think I talked with John and Craig from the the Scottish Rugby Podcast. I asked them both like, is there a fear that Scotland's potentially greatest era is being overshadowed because the teams around them are so good. Like, this is such a good Scotland team, but Ireland are so freaking good and France are so freaking good. It's like they finally found something magical, but they picked the wrong few year, like the, the wrong window in which to have that. Um, one of the things in my notes is it must be nice. Like Finn Russell is going to be the you know acknowledged top fly half in the six nations this year right like kind of makes me nervous i think that's going to put a huge target on his back um it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that but i have a lot of high hopes um townsend doesn't fill me with confidence i think he's kind of during the whole debacle with him and finn with the uh you had one more beer than i would have wanted you to have nonsense i lost all faith in him since then because of, you know, Calcutta Cup, some wins at Twickenham and stuff, it feels like people were like, oh, okay, we'll just forget about that. He's a great coach now. He's a great coach now. And I think they just chose to forget that he's like the definition of mediocre. I just don't, he doesn't seem inspiring. You you, you see clips of him giving a halftime speech and you're like, nope, not doing it for me. And uh, I, I have a hard time, I don't know. I, I, I thought he was the problem a few years ago. I still think he is. Um, I think they might have missed an opportunity to get uh, a much more inspiring coach that maybe could have put him over the top. Um, I see Scotland third in the Six Nations this year, and I don't have much hope for it being much higher than that. And uh, I have no idea what, what, what Scottish team is going to show up again, as David. I know which one's going to show up against Ireland. Oh, I did the mean <laughs> thing. I said I wasn't going to hey. do it. <laughs> They're just they're just very unpredictable. Like to me, I, I don't know. Like they like they've got I think England at home. I think they've got France at home. I could see them definitely beating England. I could see Scotland beating France. I really could, especially at home. But then I could see them, you know, the following week going out and getting trashed by Ireland. So um, I'd love them to do well. Like I really do like them as a team. I really like their players. I think they play a, a good brand of rugby. Um, but I don't think they'll they'll go that far. Um. And just constant time, maybe we might just move on to our favourite team on this uh, this pod. Wales, take it away, uh, Hugh, for us. What's your take? How are they going to so, do? Wales's year is coming, but it might not be this year. So this is going to this is the start of something new, and I think a lot of people need to be very patient. Um, for for me, I, you know, the the whole oh, we're building for a World Cup thing has become a bit of an excuse that coaches who lose games like to trot out. Um, and I don't think you should be doing that in the Six Nations. I think the Six Nations is always you need to put out your strongest team and win every game in, in the Six Nations. But there are some positions where we have to uh, uh, try new players. I'm obviously a huge Sam Costello fan, so I'm really looking forward to see, seeing him wear a number 10 jersey. I'm interested to see what happens in 
uh, at, at fullback. I put out uh, something on Twitter today about whether it's Kai Evans or Cam Winnett um, at fullback, and it sounds like it's actually going to be Josh Adams, which is fine because I think Josh Adams is arguably Wales's best player and has been for about five years now, uh, if not more. Um, so I think two wins is good. Um, I think three wins would be fantastic. And I think it, 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 you're into the land of fairy tales if you if you're looking to go beyond that. I think there's gonna there's gonna be tough moments. I think there might be, especially going away to Dublin. I think there might be a tough scoreline. We always get tonked in Dublin though. Like if you look back over the last decade, our results in Dublin we get smashed in Dublin every year since 2012. So that's not news. Um, there's gonna there's gonna be moments in games where it's like, what were you doing, lads? But then. Two years down the line, I think that will be out of our systems. But yeah, it's just sort of get your heads down and get on with it for Wales, really. I don't know what you guys think on the outside looking in. For me, yeah, I really don't know uh, what to expect. Um, what it is, Wales, it is Six Nations, it is a Warren Gatland team. I know I've said it a few times, but um, I think you're right, Hugh, like they are building, they will be back. We all know what's going on. We've all read the stories. We've all seen the clips. Like we all understand what. Well, we've some grasp of what's going on. It's probably even worse behind the scenes. Uh, in Welsh rugby, they're in a rebuilding phase. They're they're going to be a tough couple of years. But there's no better man than Warren Gatland to rally the troops and get them fired up for a game. Um, his record speaks for himself. Um, but I think yeah, maybe maybe two wins w- would be a solid return for them. I like you mentioned Josh Adams. It took me. I of course immediately when I started watching watching him thought, "Ooh, this guy's electric out on the wing." But then it took me a while to realize he plays defense just as hard as he runs with the balls, just as hard as he tries to break through. Like he's also trying to tackle you that hard. I, I think that's a special thing about him. And this Welsh national team, it's all it, it's always greater than the sum of the parts. You know, if you watch the URC, you have to think, "Well, they have no hope." And then come and get a grand slam like it just they just do it especially with Gatlin at the helm so he might be the key I do have them I only see them winning one game this tournament but like you said you got to start somewhere and I I don't think they're gonna you know I don't think they're gonna go winless and it could be the beginning of a a new era it kind of has to be in a way okay then so I think probably a lot of people's favorites of the tournament will be France Obviously, shot of a few stars now, but it just feels like they've got a star factory there. So it's like, oh, no DuPont or Untamak. Cool. Wait, Luku and Jalibert. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, it, like It literally goes that way. David, is how will we look back on this era, era of French rugby in 30 years? What will we will be saying like about this French team? That's a great question. Um, I think, for me at least... For years, every single week, if France is playing, everyone around you, everyone you're listening to, everyone, th- everything you're reading is saying, well, depends on which France shows up. You never know. They're, they're, you can't trust them. They're, they're a wacky team. You just never know. That era is over. I think the era of, oh, geez, which France is going to show up? We know which France is going to show up. And it can be their their a side or their b side they're showing up they're going to be at least as good as you they almost have to beat themselves um i'm guessing this is going to be one of their golden eras i I don't know how much it hurt them psychologically that they weren't able to come through in their home world cup that's just one of those opportunities that doesn't come along often and 
you could see it on those players' faces. The same with Ireland, but both those teams, when they were knocked out of the World Cup, just looked utterly decimated. Um, I don't, but I think France, France are almost easier to bounce back from that. I think they're able to say, yeah, whatever, let's try, just try again. Um, I expect them to win the Six Nations. I expect them to go undefeated. I have them five and zero for the Six Nations. I think Ireland are going to be right behind them because of that opening Friday, this Friday night. Wow, it's so close. Um, but it's, you know, th- this could be a five, ten year period where it's Ireland and France, Ireland and France, Ireland and France, Ireland and France. Like they, both those teams are so strong and they don't generally have hiccups. They don't show up and go, ah, and put in a half effort. They don't show up and make a ton, a ton of mistakes. You just have to be damn good if you want to have a hope to hang. What's the fear like, Ender? It's certainly real. Um, I can't wait to see how they react. Um, I do think, like, Dupont is going to be an enormous loss. Um, I know it's such an obvious statement, but he really is. Like, every game I've watched him in the top 14 or the Champions Cup this season, he's had an influence in the game. He feels like he's had an influence in all the results. Um, I really think that he's that important. Um so I do think he, he will be a big loss. And I just feel like Ireland are going to be really pissed off after the World Cup. And I think if if just if Ireland can go out and win this game, I see Ireland going out and winning the tournament, winning potentially another Grand Slam and, and France coming in in second. But yeah, I'm just, again, it's that, that's what's exciting for me. I'm not really 100% sure what to expect from all the teams. Um you know, the Six Nations, like it's really for me unpredictable. Now, who knows? Like we might, it might turn out very predictable at the end. But for me, I'm not sure um, how a lot of these teams are going to perform. Maybe, maybe Ireland probably the most team I'm most confident in because I just think that, like in terms, especially in terms of selection, um, they're going to be there thereabouts. But yeah, not not really sure. But definitely for me, the, those teams are so close that I honestly think the difference in who wins the Six Nations this year comes down to the fact that that opening game is in France instead of in Ireland. Yeah, I, agree. I think that That's is huge, the margin. Yeah. yeah. Okay, then. So Italy then. So, David, I'm so glad that you said that you think Italy can get a result against England um, because I've been Honestly, kind of thinking that. I, I, don't, I don't think it is going to happen, but I think this is possibly their best ever opportunity because of the players that England have got absent. And, you know, when we talk about Benetton doing so well in the URC, I don't being able to necessarily transfer that straight to international, I don't think is a thing. But I, what the difference is for me is, if you look at the Welsh players, they spend every week getting beat. So they have most of them have won a couple of games this year, if that. There's a core of players at Benison now who have only lost twice this season, I think it is. I think they've lost once in Europe uh, and once in the league. That That is a huge deal. And I feel like you know, they have the, the new coach coming in and the new coach bounce might be a thing. And sometimes it just hits right and they can achieve something. Now, what does achieving something look like for Italy? Well, first ever win against England, it would be an achievement. I think if they manage to get a, look, a win in the Six Nations is a huge result for Italy um, based on, on recent history. But uh, and we obviously had uh, our Italian guests on a few weeks ago. Do, do you believe? Um, we always do, and like uh, we're, I'm, I'm certainly one is always optimistic about them at the beginning of of each new Six Nations. But uh, 
it's it's going to be extremely tough for them. It always is. Um, yes, the, the both their domestic teams are doing really well. They do have some brilliant talent. Um, they've got a new coaching setup. Um, they've sold over 120,000 tickets, I think, for their for their uh, Six Nations games. So, like, they they certainly have a chance. Um, and especially this weekend against a, I would say, a vulnerable England. Um. And this, I, I still think there's a bit of uncertainty there, and especially in terms of the injuries that you mentioned. No own Farrell. Uh, he like he's Saxon level important as well. Yeah, from, agree. From an English uh, perspective, like who's going to be ten? If you know, well, we know Marcus Smith's out, so if it's going to be George Ford, like, yeah, th- this could be the time. But I, I just, I really, I'm not sure. Like, I think domestically, uh, players wise, new coach wise, like you could, you could definitely see them doing okay, but. Look at all the other teams as well. Like they could equally uh, get a result against them. Um, but well, I think any win, a win of any any form, I think in th- this year would just be would brilliant for them, and and two would be fantastic. Um, so let let's wait and see. But I, I just I really don't know. But I, I definitely do believe, and I think you're both right. Like it could definitely happen this weekend. Hugh, you kind of mentioned, or you were circling around what I think of as sort of just cohesion. I think that's what they have that England don't have at all right now. And this mm. weekend is the best possible opportunity to take care of that um, or take up that, that opportunity. On the other hand, they only get two home games this time. They don't have the three home games that, uh, that this is a tough year for them to have that. If they I think things might be a little different if they got three games in, in Italy. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, okay. Right, let's move on then to, to full contact. So I think we've all watched it and everyone's given their their take. I think what we, we should probably focus on is the recent news is that it was, the I think, the fourth most watched thing on Netflix in the UK. Uh, and, oh no, it might have been this, uh, it was high up anyway. It was the most watched thing in Ireland on Netflix and it was high up in France as well. And we chatted about this during the week. Are you Are you impressed? I mean, I'm pretty impressed with those figures, I I think, um, because like especially in Ireland, um, rugby is not the biggest sport, um, like it's the the fourth, really third or fourth biggest sport, so to see it top, I think it is is pretty impressive, um, but I I just like this is one thing we discussed, like obviously this series, like it's made by the producers of Drive Survivor, whatever, obviously it was going to do well in Six Nations countries. Uh, pretty interesting that there's no mention of Italy there as well. Um, like I think obviously it was going to do well there, but I think it, like it hasn't been confirmed for another season. So, and this goes back to something that you mentioned earlier, David. Like they don't go, they don't attempt to explain the game at all. So it almost feels like they they made this show for the three of us and for rugby fans. And obviously it's done well in most of the markets. But if they really want, if they're like. You'd, you'd imagine that the powers that be in, in Netflix want this to be a, a bigger success and they want it to be success in, in new markets, et cetera. So, like, I'm not sure if, if like, it, it, like I'm not sure if that can be deemed successful. Like, obviously, it was going to do well. Um, I know I mentioned Ireland. It, it's impressive to see it on, on Top Top. But I don't, are, are, are any of us surprised that it's done well here? I think what we need to see is how how is how is it done abroad? Has it been a big hit in in America? As you had said to me here previously, like Drive to Survive was a massive hit in in America, and that's obviously had a great impact um, on F1 over there and its popularity. I don't know. What, what's your take, you? Yeah, no, exactly that. It, it, 
when you talk about if the aim of it was to grow the game so six nations is reported in some places as the best attended sporting event in the world in that it's this many matches sold out every single week you know 70 80,000 people in the stadium so it can't you can't judge whether it's had an effect on the Six Nations by match day attendances. You could judge it by TV audience, but like the Six Nations is when people who don't care about rugby watch rugby anyway. So I think for me, it'd be like, does it have an impact on the club game? And I can't see it doing that. You know, we've always, throughout this whole, since we've been talking about full contact on, on this pod, and we have been for a long time, we've been likening it to Drive to Survive. And I think for me, in Drive to Survive in Formula One, there's 20 characters, there's 20 F1 drivers, and they're there the whole season, and you follow them throughout the season. On a, in a rugby team, on a match day, there's 23 players per team. And by the way, next weekend, an entirely different 23 could be there. So that's the risk of when you're building it around individuals, like we've seen Lewis Rizami up and left. Like Andrew Porter, if you love Andrew Porter, and you're like, oh, I want to see how he gets on next week. Oh, where is he? He's not been picked. That doesn't happen in Formula One. The drivers don't get not picked. And yeah, exactly the point of cool, it's, it's done well in rugby countries. Form, form, formula Drive to Survive brought Formula One from having one Grand Prix in the US to having three in the space of five years. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, it's been cool. And look, I, I want it to be accessible. I'm not hating on it at all. And I've enjoyed it as a series more than I thought I would, but. I don't know if it's going to be rugby's. I don't. I don't think it's going to have the impact by by following the drive to survive model. I don't think it's going to do that. Um, one one final point though, I just wanted to call out though, like I don't know if the producers of that, if their goal is to grow the game, like they probably potentially don't even care. Like their their mandate or whatever is to get as many eyeballs on this. Um, like they probably don't care if people tune into rugby. What they care about is getting people to watch this show and subscribe to Netflix and people to sign up and all this kind of stuff. Like maybe is that the angle, but, and is that why, but it just, it's just strange for me that, as you said, David, that they don't try to explain this, like in Drive Survive, they make, like I'm now an F1 fan because I understand it. Whereas in this document, they obviously, they obviously made a decision not to explain to people. So it's been marketed towards the three of us. And, but it's almost like, so was their goal just to get people in the big rugby markets watching this show? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it just seems strange. Like, as I think for an American, like, David, I'm sure you, you will get your take on this as well. But, like, obviously, they, they should, like, I feel like they should go after America. Like, that's such an enormous, like, how many tens of millions of subscribers Netflix are there over there who would love a contact sport like rugby? Yet, if you're mm-hmm. watching it. I don't know if you'd get maybe drawn in because it's not explained well. I I don't know. What's your take? It's really hard for me to tell because now that I have spent all the time getting to know the game, getting to know the rules, uh, sorry, the laws, um, I don't have to ask those questions. So it's really hard for me to sort of put myself in the place of a first time viewer. I kind of feel like they spent too much time on the game footage and they could have spent more time on the stories with the players, you know, going to people's houses, meeting their families, like that stuff is engaging if you like sports or not, because these are interesting people with interesting ideas. So the human side, I think, is probably where they landed with it uh, in the the final cutting room. I feel like Netflix's goal is make as much money as possible. World Rugby's goal is get more people watching the game. 
but I also I just feel like world rugby is this dense, obtuse organization that's like I don't know, mired in molasses, and they're kind of like, what? Netflix wants to do it? Okay. Like, yeah. like any advertising is good advertising, so just go do it, and we'll be here with our brandy snifters in our blazers, and uh, tell us how it goes. Um, I'm probably way off on that. It just feels that way. It's fun. Some of the episodes are significantly more fun than others, I think really depending on who they concentrate on. Everyone has been giving it a lot of stick for for how they featured players who are not going to be seen this year if you tuned into the Six Nations for the first time. But some of the criticism has been ridiculous, too. People saying, oh, well, I can't believe they're showing this. Like, we already know how those games went. It's like, yeah, of course we do. Yeah, we're rugby fans and you can look it up and it already happened. It's not a live show. It's not a reality document like they're not filming in this spot. Like, so, of course, it's that way. It's it's kind of as good as I expected. I made sure I kept my expectations low. Um, some of the things were really eye opening, though. It, it confirmed my ideas about Stuart Townsend. I mean, about Gregor Townsend. It uh, completely changed my mind about Fabian Galtier. I'm like, this guy is cool. <laughs> this guy is a weirdo, and I'm all in for it. I really love the weird. He's like, I'm He's only going to speak in metaphors now. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm on board. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I actually, I rated my top 10, you know, quote, characters, quote, for this uh, in the series. I don't know why I did that, but uh, can I give you my little top 10 list? Yes, and if you can do it in 60 seconds, we can put it out as a YouTube short. Ooh, great. Um, should I go from the bottom or the top? The least likable to most likable? Least, or... uh, no, no, no. Most likable and then get to least likable. Okay. For the full context series, the most likable had to be Finn Russell. The guy comes across so charming and fantastic and then also shows you it on the field. Andrew Porter comes across very well. It was just a fascinating guy who utterly terrifies me. Uh, Ugo Manya, he comes across brilliantly. I've always loved that guy's analysis and particularly his writing, and he was brilliant in this. Uh, BK, Blair Kinghorn, he also seemed like a really charming guy. My admiration for him definitely ramped up. Fabian Galtier, I already mentioned, he was the most esoteric and interesting person in the whole series. I wish they'd spent more time listening to his weird aphorisms and metaphors. Marcus Smith... Uh, I love the underwear. I love the explanation of the underwear. It's hard. That that was a great thing that they captured. Uh, Sebastian Negri, what a human. He's just very relatable. Uh, Stephen Varney struck me as kind of meh. I just didn't get a good feeling either way. Gregor Townsend came across like a wooden statue. And Louis Rees-Zammett, I liked him a lot more before I saw this series. <laughs> okay well i haven't gotten to that episode yet so i'll, I'll look forward to it i'll look forward to it it's again an irony because he's not there anymore anyway right okay cool right let's get to our wrap-up then so let's talk about the rugby that's been happening around the world this is our pale imitation of david lawrence's own show um shout i'll shout it out now rather than leave it to the end um let's face uh, it pretty pale. <laughs> that is true <laughs> scrum of the earth uh, is david's show and you should definitely check it out if you haven't already and if you haven't already Get a grip. Check it out. Right. And what's been happening in PWR? Right. So there was only one game uh, this past weekend, and it was a big win for Exeter Chiefs women, who, as we mentioned earlier, smashed Thale Sharks 54-3. Uh, Saracens are on top of the log with Leicester Tigers on bottom with just seven points so far this season. What's going on in the wonderful world of the Celtic Challenge? 
So the Wolfhounds kept up their 100% record. They beat the Thunder in Ireland this week. Uh, Edinburgh snuck past uh, Lightning, uh, 20 points to 19, in a very close game, a very high-quality game. Uh, And Clovers defeated Glasgow in the other game. So I think we're now into the playoffs for that, the confusing playoffs. So we'll figure that out as we go. Uh, Top 14, Toulon beat La Rochelle, as we alluded to earlier, uh, at home, meaning the European champs are still in the bottom half of the French table which is not many people would have expected that. Uh, leaders Racing lost at home to Toulouse, and unfortunately Poe's uh, early season excitement is now a thing of the past. I think they're down to sixth. Um, meanwhile, Montpellier are closing in at Oyonnax at the bottom. Uh, into the Pro des Deux, Provence have gone top, so we're very sad. Varna no longer top. Uh, Provence beat Brief, uh, and Brief, by the way, are now logged, uh, linked to signing Courtney Laws, of all people. Uh, Raphael Storti scored another hat-trick for Beziers as they beat Arjen. They're still in third. Right. Uh, what's happening in Japan? So the Wild Knights continued their brilliant start to the season with a 70-12 to um, win over Honda Heat. Toshiba beat Toyota 28-12 in a game that featured Richie Moanga, Shannon Frizzell, Michael Leach, Peter Steph Dutoy, uh, Aaron Smith and Bowden Barrett. Not bad. Um, in the Gallagher Premiership, uh, in a cracking game, which we discussed earlier, where defence was optional, Bristol beat Bath at a sold-out Ashton Gate, 57 points to 44. Tigers caused an upset with a 20 points to 19 win away at Harlequins, and Gloucester had a big result in beat Sale Sharks, 32-20 at home. Northampton are on top of the table and are ahead of Harlequins by seven points. Newcastle, unfortunately, are still winless and sit bottom on four points. Then in the English Championship, uh, Ealing Trailfinders returned to the top of the table. Cambridge got their first home win in the Championship and Bedford Blues had their first win of 2024. And then in the AIL Division 1A in Ireland, Clontarf suffered only their second defeat of the campaign, losing by one point away at Cork Con. That one finished 27-26 and Dublin University are still bottom. What's going on the the Welsh Prem, Hugh? Uh, so Aberavon got a big old win against lowly Swansea uh, and Flandovery are still top after beating RGC. Ebervale battered Neath, poor old Neath, 73 points to five. So uh, let's hit the TV guide then. So what's happening in the world of rugby this weekend, Ender? Any surprises? So, um, there may or may not be a Six Nations tournament coming on. So look, we've got we've got 19 games in total coming up this weekend. Got Six Nations starting on Friday night. We also have the Rugby Europe Championship starting this weekend, uh, which we will be putting um, in our Friday morning show, and I will be getting out on Twitter. We also have the Under 26 Nations starting. We've got top the top 14, of course it does. Yeah, it continues this sorry, weekend. Sorry, just, just quickly. David, have you ever watched the Under 26 Nations? Definitely not. I I'm looking as we're talking... Flow Rugby has the under twenties Six Nations this year. It's I definitely no worth idea. a watch. It's definitely worth oh. a watch. It's a it's good fun. It's good fun. And France and Ireland are both really good. Like France's yeah. under twenties team is is amazing. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Ender Carrier. Oh, good. Yes, yeah, so as I said, the top fourteen continues because it's the top fourteen, and of course it does. And um, also, really interestingly, we have the URC Champions Monster. Uh, playing Super Rugby Pacific Champions Crusaders on Saturday. And this game is available free to air on, on in Ireland on TG Car. And it's also available worldwide, apart 
from New Zealand. So David, definitely check that one out. TG Cahar. Why is it not on in New Zealand again? Oh my god. Yeah, that's this weekend. Yeah, and uh, it's not New Zealand because um, I believe Sky, I believe Sky New Zealand got the rights. They would have purchased them, um, so that's why. Um, right. but yeah, that that's going to be a brilliant game. Unfortunately, obviously, it's on in the middle of the Six Nations. Well, the beginning of Six Nations, but um, that's going to be a cracker. The Celtic Challenge also continues. Uh, so does the Premiership Women's Rugby. And of course, as always, tune into our Friday Breakfast Mini Pod to get the full guide for the weekend ahead, and keep an eye out on our socials uh, for the full guide and for all the the news that breaks between now and our Friday morning pod. So I think that that pretty much wraps it up um, for us. Uh, listen, David, a massive thanks uh, for coming on. Hopefully you still want to come back because uh, that was an absolute pleasure having you on. Oh, not at all. That was amazing. I've been really, really enjoying your show. It's so much fun. It really puts a, a, a hop in my step every week. And I've, I've already told Hugh, having that little mini pod on Fridays, ah, that is it's just perfect. I love having that little like, oh, just check in on the way to work. It's, it's beautiful. You guys have a really great format. Everything has been fantastic. And your ability to get incredible guests and me <laughs> has been really great. Oh, no, we are we are humbled by your presence. And we get we've had a few nice messages about the Friday Breakfast Show as well. So, uh, guys, make sure you are following us on the audio. It's audio only, so you won't find it on YouTube. So um, there'll be links all over the place to find it. Right. So that brings us to the end. Thank you again, David. Thank you, Enter. And I hope everyone enjoys their rugby this weekend. Have a good one, everyone. Have a great weekend, guys. Thanks very much. Sports Social Podcast Network.